Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Celebrity endorsements have been part of the advertising game for decades and over the past decade that has manifested into a plethora of social media marketing campaigns using famous folks as well as the rise of the micro-influencers alongside that stable of paid talent promoting any number of products and services for businesses around the globe. Influencer marketing has emerged as not only the fastest growing way to attract and maintain customers for a brand but also one of the most effective forms of inspiring brand loyalty but it has to be done right. It has to be authentic and ethical. And since July 2020, in Australia, at least, there's been a code of practice that affects PR agencies, talent managers, influencers, and brands. My guest today knows firsthand the harsher realities of celebrity endorsements and says that such endorsements are not a guarantee of success for a brand or even sales. Philip Massiello is one of the founders of Crunch Growth Revenue Acceleration Agency, one of the fastest growing marketing agencies in America. He's renowned for his e-commerce and Amazon selling expertise, and he's also well known for his entrepreneurial talent, having launched five unique international brands since the age of 25. In addition, Phil is an investor in several interesting startups as varied as digital games, the circular recycling economy, real estate, and personal care products. In addition to providing capital, Phil uses his marketing expertise to help these startups scale faster. Phil tells a cautionary tale, sharing a view that many brands get enamored with celebrity and think that is the key to success, but it can work against you as much as it can work for you. So welcome to the politics of everything, Phil. Thank you. Happy to be here. So tell us uh, what were your childhood dreams? Did you want to be an astronaut or something completely different to where you ended up? Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, my, I grew up in the restaurant business. My family owned restaurants and um, that was the direction that I thought. I thought that my life would take me into owning a restaurant and it didn't turn out that way. However, it, it veered off the restaurant path. I went and got a, col- a culinary education and then I went and and, and went to um, hotel and restaurant school and graduated with a bachelor degree in, uh, in that business. But while I was doing it, I realized that's not what I wanted to do. I, I, the restaurant business is a very difficult business and a lot of hours and it's a very difficult lifestyle. And I realized that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be more higher level, I think is a better way of saying it. So I decided to go to graduate school and get my master's degree in business while I did that, I got involved with a specialty food retail chain. So I was still in the food business, but more on the retail side of it. So it, it all worked out, but it changed it, it changed its pattern, so to speak. Absolutely. Well, that's interesting that somehow that kind of intersected your family background and business, but obviously your first love is business, given how many brands that you've actually launched and I guess all the different hats that you wear. 
On to the topic of the show, celebrity endorsements. You founded a skincare line with a supermodel for one of the shopping channels and you did sort of share with me that even though that obviously this individual had credibility in the space and she'd written books on the concept and obviously was genetically blessed, that's why she was a supermodel, the business partnership wasn't a slam dunk. Do you remember why that was? And I guess the, the second part to that question is what would you do differently? I'm sure that taught you something about this process of celebrity endorsements. Yeah, certainly. You know, everybody, I think, we, we all get enamored and say, oh, wow, we've got, you know, this great face and this, you know, credible person to, to not just endorse the product, but was actually a partner in the business, which we thought made it even more credible, almost. It's so authentic, isn't it? If they've got a skin in the game, if you like, literally, no no pun on the skincare line, but you know, if they're part of the business, it's very different to just shoving their face on an ad, I imagine. Yeah, it it was quite authentic. And the, the uniqueness of the skincare line was that the product was raw. It was not it was as pure and natural as you could get. So one of the problems when, when you make skincare is you, you take all the ingredients, you emulsify them, and you heat them. And by heating them, you, you basically are losing all the benefits that were in that natural product. So we figured out a way to make it using an emulsification with coconut oil, aloe, and a, and a few other items. And and so it was, it was really a, a, a breakthrough. And, you know, we, we had... A celebrity involved, and they had written books on the whole raw concept, and they were definitely entrenched in it, and and they were beautiful. And the problem became, from the consumer's perspective, twofold. First, well, she's a supermodel, and and I'm not a supermodel, and of course she looks beautiful. Look at her; she's a supermodel. She has people putting on her makeup. So the first thing we learned was, if we're going to go on television, which we were on the shopping channels, Canada and and the U.S., that we sort of had to dress her down, not go out there as a model, but go out there as a, as a woman and just as a, as a person. Don't go out there with all the makeup on, with the hair done. The high end, I guess, clothing and all the bits and pieces you expect from someone who I guess works in fashion or skincare. And yeah, I could imagine what she looked like. Exactly. So, so, you know, very simple shirt and a very simple pair of slacks to talk about the product. But, but even that, you know, wasn't ideal because then the second problem that we had was in order for me to get the benefits of doing this from a consumer's perspective, in order for me to get the benefits of doing this, I have to change my lifestyle to be a, a raw foodist. And so we had to sort of change the the way that we presented the product, the product line, as well as the celebrity. So it all sort of worked together and it took us about, you know, 18 months to figure that all out and change everything before we really started to see the growth that we expected. So the first 18 months of the business, it was really a struggle to try and figure all these pieces out, understanding the consumer, looking at what the consumer was giving us and feedback. And one of the beautiful things I like about television shopping is the immediacy of the feedback you get from the consumer. So that all worked in our favor, but it was very difficult to figure out. And I think people think- And expensive, I imagine, too. You'd have to go through a bit of trial and error to get this right. Absolutely. We had to test messaging. We had to continually work on messaging. You know, and and it it was a very difficult time. But, you know, it worked out in the end. But again, it took us quite a while. And just like everybody, we thought, this is just going to be great. Everything's going to be rosy. You know, our projections are going to be fantastic. And And it just didn't turn out that way. 
Absolutely. Celebrity endorsement refers to a marketing strategy whose purpose is to use one or multiple celebrities sometimes to advertise a specific product or service. The primary goal in this case is to reach, I guess, a greater audience represented by that celebrity's fan base. And just to bring that into some sort of tangibility, I'm thinking of examples like, you know, the lines of perfumes you see, which have, you know, Britney Spears' name on it, clothing lines by Jessica Simpson, the actress and singer. And this will kind of age me, but I remember Michael George and drinking Gatorade in the 80s and 90s and I had to be like Mike so I had to go drink Gatorade before I could possibly play basketball clearly but in a more cynical consumer world is there any way to ensure these endorsements can last beyond that one sort of campaign I think you know the life length if you like the lifespan seems to be getting shorter we kind of don't let people sort of represent a brand for years on end perhaps like we did because you know consumers just are always hungry for new different and probably stop listening after a while. Is there any way you think you can maintain that longevity perhaps with an endorsement? I I think a lot of it has to do with selecting the right endorsers for the right product and understanding how the, the consumer relates to that endorser. And also a lot of times these, when, when something negative happens with the endorser, the whole thing falls apart. Right? So, I think Michael Jordan is a good example of longevity because, you know, we've still got the Air Jordan line of product. He's not been, you know, he's not gotten any negative press, negative publicity. He's not been embroiled in any scandals, you know, versus somebody like a Tiger Woods that has, right? So I think that's part of it. But it really comes down to making sure that you've got the right endorser for your product and connects and that endorser connects with the consumer the way that you want and and the right consumer you know a lot, a lot of times and we've seen you see it every day when you when you look at social media there's people out there you know pitching product but it doesn't necessarily relate or correlate to sales i i remember a couple of years ago that there was a study done about twitter and about some of the big celebrities that had millions and millions of Twitter followers. And I forget who the celebrity couple was, but it's not, it's not important. But there was a celebrity couple and this Porsche dealership gave a free car to the celebrity couple. And all they asked for was to post on their social media and talk about it and talk about the free car. And they expected to get sales from it and they didn't get one. And, you know, the, yeah. these, these, these people had millions and millions and millions of followers. And it, and it just sort of goes to show that sometimes, you know, you have to look at, in addition to the endorser, what the comments are, you know, in the comment section, who's really following them, you know, and, and are they engaged? Exactly. And are they your demographic? So are they potentially Porsche buyers or they sure. not? You know, it's, it doesn't make any sense just to kind of throw a car at someone and hope that that strategy would work. Yeah, obviously it's a very high-end purchase. It wouldn't be for everyone. So it, it's it's interesting and I suppose I love the fact that you just touched on, I think, a little bit earlier, that idea, say, for example, with Tiger Woods, you know, when he had personal issues in his life and they were very publicly played out because of who he was, the risk is always if things go wrong, you know, and you can't control individuals and celebrities no matter what industry they're in, you know, they all have scandals usually at some point that we, we learn about. So the risk, I guess, is really on the brand to, to know that that going in, no one's perfect. Sure. sure, you have to be careful about who you select and, you know, and there has to be some sort of a 
congruency. I'll give you another example. When we were in the razor business, we had a Olympic swimmer that was involved in the company as an investor because they, they had used the product. And as a swimmer, they were shaving their entire body. So the quality of the razor, the quality of the shave was of the utmost importance. But we also sold skincare along with it, shave creams, aftershave, shave lotions, etc. And they were really talking about the shave system. And, and we thought, again, this is going to be great. People are going to hear this story about how they're shaving their entire body and, and it's going to be a slam dunk. And it wasn't. And, and that person had had some scandals early on when they were still a teenager. And, you know, people didn't forget and they were still bringing it up. And it was, it, it was, you know, almost like, really? I mean, uh, it's been six years, seven years, and this person's represented his country, got won medals, and you're still bringing up some, you know, scandal that happened in a college dorm seven years ago. You know, so people don't forget so easy. <laughs> no, and the internet doesn't let no. you. you Google someone's name and, you know, all sorts of things sure. come up and, and historical stuff as well. By the end of this year, it's estimated that influencer marketing as an industry will be worth up to US $15 billion. Since the seemingly limitless possibilities were realised, influencers have been sort of cottoning on to new ways to receive, I guess, a larger slice of that brand incentive pie. But as I mentioned a little bit earlier in this, in this podcast, we've got some regulations and a Australia and I think other nations are probably following suit that have really changed the game. Is that going to make celebrity endorsements perhaps harder to use for some brands? And for example, I'm thinking of, you know, you might get a celebrity, you mentioned about posting a series of posts for a Porsche car, for example, but I've seen, you know, for example, one of the Kardashians, one particular post, just one post, you know, X amount, millions of dollars they want to be paid. It's a one-off endorsement really, which might just be on, you know, maybe just Instagram as well as perhaps YouTube and other platforms, but perhaps not. But also, as we've mentioned, it doesn't always equal sales. So I think the risks are higher now for brands because it's more regulated, which seems to protect them. But in some ways, I guess the hoops they've got to jump through to get the, the advantage, it might be a little bit trickier. What, what's your sort of view on that? Yeah. You know, we deal with this every day because we, we have, you know, clients who are brands, small, medium and large. And so we deal with it all the time. And the, the beauty about, in my opinion, the beauty about digital marketing is that everything can be measured, right? Versus television marketing or versus, you know, ads and newspapers and things like that. I mean, there's ways to measure, but it's not as finite. And, you know, the problem that I've always had with influencer marketing is measuring the payback, right? And I think a lot of brands get enamored very quickly with, oh, I can get this person and they're going to do a post for me and it, they only want you know $10,000 for the post, but I think it's worth it because we'll get sales out of it. And I keep saying, I always say, well, you know, if you have that money, that's fine. Most, people, most brands don't or don't want to, but let's measure it. And, and we have yet to find the correlation where it works. It generally turns, to, turns out to be one-offs because nobody goes back again. That's right. And, and and the feeds are kind of so updated so regularly that, like you say, you'd have to really dig to find that post, you know, a month later, for sure. example. And, and and even when you, you know, you, you look at it, what's the metric for the spend? I mean, you can, we deal with influencers all the time and they'll, you know, we'll say, hey, we think you're a good fit for this brand. And they'll throw out a number 
you know, $2,000 for a post. And, and we always come back and go, okay, well, let's just use, you know, four cents per view or five cents per view as a, as a metric to see if it's worth it. And, and we can never make the numbers match. And even if we do it because the brand wants to spend the money, we look at what the return is. We look at what the views are and what the interaction is. And it, we just don't see it. And I, I think that the consumer is very savvy about and, and getting more savvy to these pieces that or to these influencers and, and, and what's happening out there. Because if you're following an influencer and one day they're, let's say you're in the beauty business or you're, you're, you're following beauty influencers and one day they're, they're talking about unboxing something like, you know, a juice beauty. And then the next day they're unboxing, you know, something from Olay. And the next day they're boxing, unboxing. Well, so multiple brands and multiple kind of, I guess, categories is what you're sort of yeah, alluding I mean, how, to. Is how that, can that be? Is that kind of, yeah. How can that sort of be credible? Because it doesn't that say to you as a consumer that they're just taking money and just telling you, oh, I got this unboxing. Here's what I like and here's what I don't like about it. So you're not really telling anybody anything. I'm amazed anyone actually watches it, to be honest, unless you're a mega fan of that particular celebrity. I guess that's the difference. I, I think that, you know, people people get their feed, you know, they start going through their Instagram feed, their Facebook feed, their, their Twitter feed or whatever, and they follow the same people over and over again. They'll just scan it, look, see what's happening. Uh, but I don't think that they're necessarily – hanging on it and listening and paying attention. Um, you have to do something to grab their attention, right? I think, you know, when you look at somebody like what Ryan Reynolds is doing with the phone company, you know, there's some credibility there, right? He, he's he's doing the, the, the commercials, he's talking about the benefits, but he's doing it in a way that just seems straightforward and authentic. But I think yes. some of these some of these influencers that we, we see or interact with, it just doesn't come off as authentic. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a personal example. You know, there's a, I, I, I'm into indoor rowing right now. Indoor rowing? I don't think I've ever heard of that. There you go. Yeah, indoor <laughs> rowing, like uh, there's there's a bunch of different indoor rowing machines, right? The, the right. water rower. So you don't just go, it like, it's sort of like spin. There's a whole bunch together. Yeah. Like, and I got into it during yeah, okay. COVID during the lockdown because we couldn't go to the yeah. gym and things like that. So go anywhere. We yeah. had a, uh, we, we, I started out with a water rower and then I was looking for, you know, instruction online. And I found this this guy, the Scottish guy on there doing these videos for free. He was doing them for free just because he's really into indoor rowing. And he doesn't ever push product. He just talks about like what he uses. And I don't know if he gets endorsement money for it. It doesn't appear to, but it's it comes off as very authentic. So I wound up switching my rowing machine just based on what he's using and the reasons why, because he'll always talk about, oh, if, if you have a water, water rower, do this. If you have a this, do this. So he's not ever telling anybody you have to use this. But because he's so authentic and because he's so into it, he, it, you sort of follow what he's doing because you want the same results that he's getting, if that makes any sense. It does. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very tangible, I guess, example, which is, I think, helpful for people. Social media is definitely democratized advertising. And I'm, I'm picturing, you know, TVCs that we'd see on traditional television programs between our favorite shows are very expensive to produce. And, and a lot of brands, particularly smaller brands and up and coming brands would not be able to afford that. Things like TikTok and Instagram and paid social media is accepted as normal. But obviously, when you go on those particular platforms, it says paid partnership in the title. There's, you know, they've got to declare that it's actually something they're being paid to do. Is that a win for the brand and the consumer because they're under no illusion of the relationship to say, 
you know, that piece of gym equipment, like what you've just talked about, being spruiked or the lipstick being worn to the Oscars, for example, by a celebrity actress, does using that influencer-style paid posting take away from the authenticity or does it really even matter? I'm just thinking, you know, people people want to know, they have to know, they legally need to know. How do you do it authentically without it just looking like, oh, you've paid me to do something? Yeah, I, I think that those paid sponsorships do take away. And I think that the, it, it's beneficial to the consumer because at least they're, they're told, you know, I'm getting paid to do this, right? And, you know, and the consumer can tell. The consumer is very savvy. They're not, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not stupid. But I think it is good when you go on a TikTok or Reels and you start to see that, the paid ads, what you'll notice, because we've, we've been looking at this very, very hard, and you'll notice that the paid ads on TikTok, for example, just get no play. Very small numbers, very small interaction, which is, I think, good because it's inauthentic and people see it as just an ad and they don't want to react to just an ad. So I think in order for influencers to be truly influential and to make an impact and to be beneficial to the brand as well as the consumer, they have to be very creative. There are a lot of creative people out on Reels and Instagram, TikTok. There are a lot of creative people out there doing a lot of creative things. And I think that what you're going to see over the next year or two is these influencers who were just out there trying to get a million followers so they can start making money. You're going to see them fall to the wayside. You're going to see them just not be as effective. And you're going to see real creative people that are producing, that are giving the consumer something, whether it's entertainment or whatever. They're giving the consumer something and then the con- and, and, and they're getting back from the consumer. So it's, it's almost like a commercial, right? We all used to wait for the Super Bowl commercials at the... At, you know, at Super Bowl because they were funny, they were fun, uh, they were very creative, and I'm they sure spent a lot of money on them. <laughs> yeah. We knew that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think you're seeing the same thing happen on social. Is that you, you've really got to be creative. You really got to stop the consumer in their tracks, make them focus at, to hear the message of of what you're selling. But it's not selling. You know, you can't shove it down their throat. You can't put it out in the face and, and, and say, you know, you know, I'm pushing this on you for, for no valid reason. There has to be a reason and you've got to work it in creatively. Absolutely. And I always think, you know, the success of a social media campaign is its shareability. Yeah. So if I then flip it on to my friends and say, you have to watch this or isn't this funny or I didn't know that, you know, particular piece of information or what about would you consider buying this? I'd never thought about this product before. That's got to have a lot more value as well, which in a TVC, you don't really do that. You're just all watching it at the same time. And if you miss it, well, then you got to wait to look at it again, you know, next time it runs. Look at, dollar, yeah. look at the Dollar Shave Club video from a few years ago and look at what that did. Yeah, of course. That was very much shareability. And, you know, the, the, things like that don't happen, you know, every day. But the, the reality is that's what that's what people should be striving for because- It's the gold standard, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So who've been your greatest mentors and are there one or two that come to mind that have had a big impact in your life and your career? You know, I haven't, to be, to be quite honest, I don't think I've had some really great mentors in my life. Uh, a lot of, you know, what I've done and what I've learned, I've, I've sort of had to figure out myself. But there was one person, there was one guy that I worked for back in the, the 90s. I don't even think he realizes the impact. And we're still in contact today. He's an investor and uh, a private equity guy, but he, I worked for him for, for a short period of time, about, about two years. And he always pushed me because I'm always thinking about 
things in a different way. And he always pushed me and said, you've always got to focus two things. Always, always, always focus on who the customer is. I don't care what business you're in. I don't care what you're selling. I don't care what you're producing. Always think about the consumer and what they're going to be doing with it, who the, what they're going to use it for. So keep your eye on the customer. Always, always, always. And the second thing is understand the economics of your business. Those two things have stuck with me forever. And I still think about it today. You know, we talk about it with clients all the time. Like who Who's the customer for this? You know, I know you want to do this, but who's the customer and how are we, why, why is this beneficial to them? Because in the position we're in as a, as a, as an agency, we can only guide. We can't, we can't de- demand or tell people what to do. We just have to guide them. And, and a lot of times what you see in, in brands is you got people who want to do something because they want to do it or they think it's it's something cool but you go you know let's talk about this let's think about the customer let's think about you know what they're going to see what they're going to think about this uh, and also we always push uh, understanding the economics behind it understanding what you're going to get you're going to give somebody something what are you going to get back for it so in my opinion those are the two biggest fundamentals of any business is is to is to keep your eye on the customer understand them you can never ever i think understand the consumer too much i think you can't you've always got to look at data and and what they're doing and where they are and try and stay one step ahead of them and always understand the economics of your business because if you understand the economics of your business then you know how much you can spend to get a customer you know how much you can spend on customers you you can make a lot better decisions Absolutely. If we spoke again in a year's time, what would be the number one thing you would have hoped to have changed in your business and why? Well, we launched this product line of superfoods, you know, vegan superfoods, and we're struggling with it, to be honest with you. It's not going according to plan. So if you were to speak to me in a year from now, I would hope that that would be a change. I would have hoped that that by then we would have figured out the key because we know that the market is out there. We know there's a consumer for it. We know the consumers like our product. We know we're priced right. So we're just trying to find the key to getting to them. You know, I think that's been the problem because just running ads or things like that, I don't think it's going to do it. We've got to be creative and think about it creatively. And so uh, if you were to come back to me in a year's time and say, you know, this is what I would hope to have changed, that we would have figured this out uh, in business. We would have figured it out, what that you know mechanism is that to, for us to, to, to make that impact with the customer. What's your final takeaway message for us on the politics of celebrity endorsements? Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot uh, over the past week. And, and again, we see it all the time with people with celebrities and celebrity endorsements. And you've got to understand how that celebrity is going to fit in the mindset and, you know, the the purchasing mindset of the consumer that you have, right? Don't just get a celebrity for celebrity's sake. Get a celebrity that is going to, that has some some credibility with your brand, some credibility with the consumer and, and marry them together. But don't just start spending money, you know, on a celebrity thinking that, you know, it's going to be the, you know, the be all end all for your business. You've really got to think about it and don't be afraid to, to push back and say, no, that's too expensive. You know, when, especially with. You've got to negotiate, influence. don't you? <laughs> that's the case. Absolutely. Yeah. You, say, you know, 
explain to me why it's worth it, but also be a little creative. There's a lot of times when if you've got the right celebrity, you know, you don't always have to pay in, in cash. You know, sometimes you might want to make that person part of your business. You know, maybe there's an equity play or something. Excellent. Well, it's been such an amazing conversation today, Phil, and um, you've, you've taught us a lot. You've obviously got a lot of expertise in what you do. If you do want to connect further with Phil, there will be some contact details on our show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.